Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Wait a minute. I've heard that before. That's the note Jeremy wrote to me in my yearbook in the sixth grade. How'd you even know that? Because it's from Geico. Yeah, yeah, wait, here it is. Dear Luke, have a great summer. P.S. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Love, Jeremy. Geico's had this tagline for years because we help save people money. So wait, you're saying Jeremy copied you? <laughs> yeah, that actually does sound like something the J-Man would do. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. This is the Cubs-related podcast presented by CubsInsider.com. My name is Corey. I am joined, as always, by Brendan. And we are coming to you on Thursday, July 22nd. The Cubs just dropped the finale to the St. Louis Cardinals, losing three of four in St. Louis. And Brendan, I I know you were holding out that last bit of hope that the Cubs were going to go on a run here. That was. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) and get themselves into uh, playoff position once again. But alas, doesn't seem to be, uh, I guess, pun intended, in the cards. This is our reality. And in a way, like, I've been over it. I know you joke about that. I've been I've been over it for you know a while now. I'm excited to see what happens in the next two weeks. I'm excited to see who no, kind of takes over. I mean, listen, morbidly relative, excited. I mean, I'm a I'm a mental head. Yeah. I'm trying to trick myself into. <laughs> like, can you believe I'm saying excited, that? But... Can you believe I'm saying that? I'm excited the Cubs are doing this but in I'm a like, sick okay. way. Yeah, <laughs> in a sick way. Yeah, but I, like, yeah. I mean, seeing Adber pitch well tonight and wondering who's going to take some of those starting spots as the year goes along. And seeing guys like uh, Trevor and Alec Mills do well, like yeah, I, I am I am curious. And seeing the trade market hot, like I don't know, I think the entire outlook could be unexpectedly better or different at least in the next ten days. Yeah, I mean, I think I I I I, I joke about you know you saying you're excited, but I I think I know what you mean, <laughs> and I yeah. at least from my perspective, this. This part is worse, I think. Like, saying farewell to some of these guys, depending on who they end up moving or not moving, is going to suck. And for some of them, I'm not happy about it. I don't agree with the decisions, things like that. We've talked about all of that. But this sort of purgatory that we're in of different rumors every day. Yeah, that's a good way of describing it. Yeah, and it, it just is 
worse, I, I think. Like, it's it's almost, you know, I, I know it's, like, sort of one of the most used, like, cliches or whatever, but just rip the Band-Aid off, man, you know? And and I know that, you know, you want Jed to take his time and get the best deals, and, and that might be closer to the deadline when teams are more sure of their position and maybe panicking a little bit or getting desperate for certain things. You know, you watch every other night one of these contenders blows a save or things like that, and, you know, you want that to keep happening, right? So I, I don't literally mean I want Jed to hurry up and just do it, but from a fan perspective, you know, we've been expecting this now in terms of them selling for a few weeks-ish, right, since since things went really south. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a lot. It 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 reminds me of the the scene in the office where where Michael's talking about uh, having to get multiple vasectomies. And he's like, do you know the toll that this takes on a man? Snip, snap, snip, snap, snip, snap. Like that's what it feels like every morning. It's like you know, the Cubs are going to trade Javi Baez. No, they're not. Here's another rumor. He's going to go to this team. No, he's not. They're going to extend him. Actually, they're not talking about extending him. That was totally made up. It's it's a lot. It's, it's very tiring. And there's a part of me that just understands, like, this is what's going to happen. Let's just get this over with so that we can get to the, the sad part and and the hard part, which is saying goodbye and, and sort of realizing that some of this stuff is actually happening and it's done. But then, like you're saying, Brendan, like turn our focus to better days whenever they may be. Man, I think you're thinking about this in a way more deathly way than I am, surprisingly. I'm usually on the, on that side. Like I'm I, I'm tricking myself not to think about saying goodbye to like Chris Bryant or Javi Baez. I mean, you just described yourself as being in purgatory getting vasectomies, Corey. I mean, that's how dark you are right now. But uh, even in a weird way, it's 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 a lot of dominoes to fall. But even if KB is traded or some of these guys are traded, specifically KB because he seems to be the most likely uh, guy to be traded. You might be able to resign him in the offseason. It's maybe goodbye for for now and see you in like three four months. But it is gonna be it is it is gonna be tough. But if you want to be healthy about it, you can't think about it like that right now. Address well, I it. I think you well, and I are long past the point of being healthy about any of this. Well, um, you know, it's all relative, right? Relatively excited, relatively healthy. But mm-hmm. I, I I do think that you have to distract yourself and then once it does happen then you face it you take a few hours you take a day days weeks whatever you need and then you get back up on that horse and you keep going and right now i cannot think about kb or javi or or rizzo in a different uniform it does no good distract yourself with watching these pitchers with these draft signings with these prospects doing well be healthy about this oh yeah distract yourself from the constant rumors of your favorite players you have to watching them lose to the cardinals it's great it's a good mental exercise Corey. just try to help some try to have some self-control you can do it i don't think i would advise any of our listeners to take mental health advice from you of all people i mean it's fair but i'm i guess i'm trying i'm at least i'm trying over here you're like you're i mean Think about what well, your I'm metaphors. just saying, like your every day, you know, people and and David Ross kind of alluded to this when uh, he had to take Bryant out of the game the other night uh, after he dove for that ball. Like, you know, he joked in the post game show about how funny it was to him that you know people like Passan and Ken Rosenthal and John Heyman were probably scrambling, and it was for no reason. 
But it, yeah, it's just hard to focus on things when like every five minutes, John Heyman or someone is like, oh, here's another, you know, set of my thoughts about which Cubs are going where and things like that. I'm trying to ignore it, I swear. So at the very least, it's still like encouraging or intriguing to see the guys play hard and David Ross still still in it. So in that sense, you can distract yourself that way. I don't know, like focus on a game, you know, not the not the large picture in some cases. I don't know. I have I have no I have no I have no suggestions for you. I'm just trying to tell you what you know what works for me. And right now, I can't think about anyone else in a different uniform. Just can't do it. Uh, yeah, well, that's, uh, that's where we are. So as I said, it is July 22nd. So tomorrow, of course, when you guys are listening to this, probably on Friday, before the Cubs uh, start things back up at Wrigley Field for an afternoon game. That's the 23rd. So you know, we're about a a little over a week until you know, this all kind of has to be done. So you know, remember, there's no uh, waiver period this year, you know, so trades are done in the next week or so. So this is it. So we are in this uh, final stretch so far, you know, Jock Peterson's kind of the the lone move that we've seen, but uh, there is definitely going to be some more movement on that front, and we'll just have to see where it goes. I, I think this was a, a pretty good series in turn. You know, the the KB thing is pretty weird at the moment. You know, obviously uh, he didn't come back after uh, he dove for a ball in left field. How do you think that works, by the way? Because he's not injured. Right, like he pinched hit in that last game. But how do those conversations work? Does Ross go up to him and be like, "Hey, you might be traded, so we're not going to play you"? I've always thought about that. You know? Well, I mean, you know, with KB, it's it's such an interesting thing because we've seen this with him before, where you know he'll tweak something and there'll be like a, a little nagging thing in it, and it keeps him out uh, for a little bit. And we we kind of wonder these things much prior to you know these trade conversations and things like that. So even even if that weren't the case, it might just be a situation where they've seen how these uh, injuries can affect him and linger and stuff, and they just don't want to risk it at all, uh, especially with yeah, how you know many different positions that he's playing. At yeah. the same time, it it certainly could. I mean, I you know for some of these guys, I have to imagine that Jed Hoyer has given David Ross at least some instruction of like, hey man, like you got to be careful with Craig Kimbrell, you know, type stuff. Like you you cannot let this go south uh, for the sake of this organization, right? So um, I don't know. Yeah, I, I that's that's weird. certainly something we're, yeah. we're not going to be privy to. But I, 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 I think it would be naive to think that David Ross is not clued in to how important some of this stuff is, how it works oh, with each individual course. person. I don't know, uh, you know, because like at the same time, like I, I, if if KB felt fine and Ross was like, yeah, like they might trade you, so you you can't play anymore. Like I, I don't, I don't see that going very well. Like with Chris and and just, I don't know if we would find that out. But I, you know, for competitors like that want to be out there, you know, especially like KB's, uh, you know, struggled over the last like month or so, you know, especially in June. So I'm sure he wants to be out there and, you know, get his hacks in and, and things like that. So I don't know is, is my answer. But uh, the, the, my guess is that, you know, th- there have definitely been conversations between the front office and uh, the coaching staff as far as what is potentially on the table here. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, even in the second, the second press conference after that second game, Ross was asked, was KB, like, why didn't KB play? And he just flat out said he's not available and gave gave no details to that. Um, 
don't know, I, I was just I was just wondering about it. I I like it. I mean, you know, relatively like it. I think it makes sense to protect these guys as much as possible. And you've seen that with some of the bullpen management with like limiting Chafin's usage and Tabaris usage and Craig's usage. Um, so it it, ma- it makes sense. And I just can't help but let my mind wander and imagine what the return for Craig Campbell could be. What could the return even be for Chafin be? Uh, right. You see Nelson Cruz being traded to the Rays, and yeah. the Twins get back two guys who are almost major league ready, man. And Cruz is like, what, 55 years old now? He's, I think he's like realistically 42 or 43. Still a great hitter, though. Yeah, I mean, of course still a great hitter. And But we were talking about it earlier. He, he's a DH, right? So you're only working from half of the league's right. teams to get back that type of return. So you look at someone like Chris Bryant, who is like the modern-day super utility player, I mean, look at the, all the options the Cubs could be could be discussing with all these yeah, teams, including right? extending someone like that. <laughs> well, again, you know, they train them, you bring them back in the offseason. I still think it's a possibility, but I get it. I mean, I think my preference has always been to to extend KB, but who knows? Maybe you get uh, an offer that's just so good that you just cannot refuse it, and you have no choice but to reengage in the offseason after KB's on a different team for two months. Yeah, so the you know some of the the prospect writers. I mean, obviously you have to like recalibrate this. So this is just a lot of you know guys who who pay attention to this stuff working quickly as a trade is made. Um, but you know, suggesting that the Twins got uh, maybe a couple top twelve ish prospects, yeah. guys that'll slot into their top twelve, top thirteen uh, ish in their farm system now. Uh, for just a few months of, as you said, uh, a DH, very good hitting. You know, Nelson Cruz has has pretty consistently been one of the best hitters uh, in the league and, you know, hits a lot of home runs, uh, a great ad for the Rays, for a team that is on track oh, yeah. to, you know, make Big the playoffs game. and things like that. They add a little bit of thunder to the middle of that lineup. Um, but it, it does sort of give you, you know, it, I, I think for a lot of people on Cubs Twitter tonight, you know, that I, that I follow and that pay attention to this stuff, it definitely, you know, kind of, uh, raised their attention. I think it's like, oh, wow. Like this is a solid get for the Minnesota twins for, uh, a DH, uh, who, you know, it's, it's, it's only a rental. And like you said, Brendan, because he's a DH, you're, you're not, competing with the other half of the league Mm -hmm. so when you're talking about you know someone like Kimbrell for example like everybody that's in the playoff hunt needs a closer not just teams in the American League so that should up the bidding if you will so it's always hard to compare moves because the value of Cruz to the Rays can be different than the value of uh you know another hitter to different teams it it it's all different and you know front offices are different trade talks are different and things like that but I do think at least in what we've seen so far the Cubs getting an interesting prospect uh you know with a an an, an intriguing tool in Bryce Ball uh for Jock Peterson this trade for Nelson Cruz it does suggest that things are good for teams that are selling so uh, you know again like all of us I think would rather be in a position to be buying uh as the Cubs but that's not where we're headed. And you at least want this to go well if they're going to do it, right? So um, 
And it yeah, seems that there's so, a good chance it does go well. And a month ago, I didn't it, know. Do it better? Are you kidding? <laughs> chance? I'm, I'll be. I don't know where Jed lives, but I'll find out. <laughs> I'm just saying. A, a month ago, we didn't know what the market would be, and you yeah, see the terms sure, like sure. Jacques and Nelson Cruz, and it's like, all right, we'll have at least a little bit more confidence that we might get something really good back. I didn't know a month ago, so I, this is informative to some degree. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, you you want to feel good going into this. You want to feel like there's going to be some bidding wars to be had for different guys and things like that. And uh, at least as we sit here now, it it seems like that is potentially going to be the case. So um, we're we're already ripping and rolling here, Brendan. But let let me just uh, briefly set the table. I'm not going to recap a four-game series loss to the Cardinals because I (laughs) don't want to torture you guys any more than you already were by probably sitting through these games. Uh, but just, you know, briefly remind you all of what happened. Uh, Monday, it was 8-3, to three, the Cardinals winning that one. Alec Mills, uh, I, I think, was better than, you know, the the overall line. He does give up five runs uh, total, but only one of them was earned. And that's, of course, what I mean by he deserved better than the line. Uh, only four innings on 81 pitches, two walks, and six strikeouts. Uh, four errors for the Cubs in this game. Just an absolute mess uh, in this game. Javi with two throwing errors, uh, wisdom an error, Sogard an error. Just and, and not not great from, from uh, the Cubs defense. So Mills deserved better. Obviously, that means he has to pitch around some more situations, throw more pitches, things like that. Uh, but just five hits, two walks, six strikeouts. So we'll talk about Mills uh, a little bit more and kind of, uh, you know, looking at him as one of those guys in this second half and trying to figure out, okay, like what can this guy do? What is his role going forward and heading into 2022? On Tuesday, it was a 7-6 to six Cubs win. The Cubs come back. They trailed 6-1 to one in the top of the ninth inning, going up against the Cardinals closer Reyes, who had not blown a save, I believe, in 24 chances, uh, and the Cubs put up six runs in the ninth inning to come back and win that game. Ian Happ with the big uh, game-winning two RBI double, so that was uh, nice to see from Happ. He didn't do much else, I don't think, in the series, so still struggling as a whole, but, you know, obviously for a guy that's that's probably pressing and uh, not, maybe not in the best place mentally as far as things are going on the field. I'm, I'm sure that that felt nice for Ian. It was a nice win for the Cubs uh, on Tuesday. That was uh, behind Trevor Williams, who we'll also talk about kind of in that same context as Mills. He went five, seven hits, four earned, one walk, and three strikeouts for Trevor Williams on 95 pitches. Wednesday, 3-2, to two, Cardinals win. Uh, this was a walk-off for the Cardinals in the 10th inning. Kyle Hendricks was pretty good in this game, six and a third, eight hits, two earned runs, no walks, and three strikeouts on 90 pitches. Kyle lowers his ERA to 3.61. So, uh, a brief aside on Hendricks, you know, he struggled at the beginning of the year and, you know, we, we kind of talked about as the rest of the rotation struggled that, uh, while it was a pretty heavy burden to put on him, he, the, the team needed him to turn it around and turn it around quick and have him perform at that level. We all knew that he could, mm-hmm. Brendan and I reiterated a million times not to worry about Kyle Hendricks and for, to his credit, right, for as much as he could do to help this team get to where they want to be, 
he's done it. He's been really, really good uh, yeah. since those early struggles in the beginning of the year. It's been an extremely good stretch for Kyle Hendricks for quite a while now. Uh, so for all that he is capable of doing completely on his own, Kyle Hendricks has been that dude uh, for the majority of this season. So a hat tip to Kyle Hendricks. Unfortunately, it is uh, not going to be enough to get the Cubs to the playoffs here. So, and then uh, it was the same score on Thursday evening. The Cubs losing once again, losing the series three to one. Edward Ozelai, six innings, four hits, three earned, three walks, and eight strikeouts per usual. The home run ball does get him, gave up a leadoff home run to left handed hitting Dylan Carlson. Uh, two home runs in this game, but, uh, you know, he he settled down, gets a quality start, uh, and, you know, for, for what it's worth, kept the team in the game on 102 pitches. Uh, that is Alzali's 10th loss of the year, which is really not fair. Uh, he's he's not gotten a lot of run support in a lot of these games, uh, and, you know, the ERA sitting at four and a half, so he certainly has not been great, but uh, there's been a lot of starts where he's he's done the job, quality start, kept the team in the game, and they have not paid that off for him and uh Thursday night was one of those iterations. So that that's that's the story. Really just wanted to uh give you guys the recap of the starters uh because uh, really, all of them potentially might factor into the the future plans uh, going into 2022, and and I suppose we can just start there. Really, what I wanted to talk about, Brendan, we I always want to check in with you on Alzali, especially as he's been uh, mixing in that cutter, throwing different pitches, trying different things out, and you know this game was less successful against the left-handers and keeping the ball in the park than we saw against the Diamondbacks in the previous start. Um, but I always like to check in with you there. And then I I think talking about Mills and Trevor Williams, Trevor Williams, who has uh, an option for 2022, the, those are interesting guys. And in the context of, you know, obviously, if you are trying to build the best rotation that you possibly can, I'm not sure that you would end up with space for one or both of those guys, right? But given the uncertainty of what exactly direction the Cubs are going to be going in, what position they're going to find themselves in heading into 2022... We've, we've often talked about trying to answer the question of, okay, how many roster spots or options for roster spots can we create through the rest of this season uh, with the guys that you have under control, right? We've talked about guys like Keegan Thompson, Justin Steele, et cetera, you know, e- even interesting guys, uh, you know, someone like Patrick Wisdom, Nico Horner, obviously at second base, things like that. We talked about Ian Happ in this context. What are you going to do with him going into next year? And I think Mills and Trevor Williams kind of factor into that discussion of can you provide Jed Hoyer with options? They don't have to be locks for the rotation or anything like that. But can they be options for the rotation? Because then it just, it it lowers the amount of roster spots you have to fill either by, you know, prospects that you have now or that you're acquiring at the deadline or, of course, money that you're spending in the offseason. And the more of those positions you can fill, the more of that money you can devote to potentially big-time players, mm-hmm. Uh, extending some of the players you have now, things like that, right? So I I guess I'll throw it to you. Take your time here. Uh, I just talked for way too long. Uh, Hit me with with what you think, I think in particular, about those three starting pitchers. Well, let's go with Alizalai first because he's likely the most influential pitcher for the 2022 rotation given his top-tier potential. 
he is turning into exactly that, Corey. He's showcasing more than two pitches. He's showcasing more than three pitches, more than four pitches. He threw six different pitch types against the Cardinals on Thursday. That is the first time in his career that he's done that. Remember, Alzelay came up. He was principally a four-seam curveball changeup guy. He's no longer... That guy is gone. I mean, he is way gone. Now... He's throwing a sinker. He's throwing a slider. All of a sudden, he's throwing a cutter almost 15 to 20% of the time in his last four starts. Think about that. Once every five pitches, he's now throwing a completely new cutter. Sahadev Sharma was talking about this new cutter. And in fact, you Darvish, when they were playing the Padres recently, helped Alzelay with, with that cutter. You has four different versions of sliders and cutters. And so he gave some suggestions with pitch grips. And we've seen in the past, what is it now, three weeks that he's looked good with that cutter. But in addition to the cutter, he's still throwing four seams every now and then. And he threw his curveball seven times and his changeup three times. So all together against the Cardinals in 102 pitches, he was able to diversify his repertoire. And that's what you that's what you want from your top tier pitcher. And that's what you want from a 26-year-old who is developing at a rapid pace. If you were to tell me last August, before Alzali was even up with the Cubs, that he'd be throwing six pitches, three of which are completely new pitches, I would have been blown away. But this is exactly what we're seeing. And that's a huge testament to Craig Breslow and Tommy Hadovy, but most importantly to Alzali being able to rapidly implement new pitches and adjust and be open and soak in all information from you, Darvish, or even Jake Arrieta, despite his struggles, just learning from everyone and not being, you know, egotistical about where he's at in his career and thinking he knows all the right ways. He's not clearly doing that. He's being way more open-minded than I imagine most pitchers. Also like Corey, if he continues to do this and throwing 100-plus pitches and not walking anyone. I know the homers with lefties have been an issue, but given the fact that we're seeing more cutters, most of them against lefties, and now more change-ups, maybe more curveballs too, I would imagine by the end of the year, he's going to make those changes against left-handed batters or at least be in position to continue to work on that in the offseason. And absent of any type of weird stuff going on or like massive pitch-inning restrictions or whatever, he should be in competition for your top two starting rotation jobs next year. Top three, depending on what the Cubs do at the trade deadline and in the offseason. But this is a legitimate top of the rotation arm. And this is a guy who's changing on a game-to-game basis. And I have to wonder what's what's next. What's the next change? Is it now going to be seven pitches? Is it going to be eight pitches? Is it going to be 12 pitches like you, Darvish? Like, seriously, what is what is the ceiling for, for Alzali at this point? Um and you do have to wonder. I think that's a legitimate possibility that he continues to change this much and kind of reset my expectations and your expectations as we enter 2022. So I want to start there. Um, you know, I know you keep it that home run against Dylan Carlson on that 94 mile per hour fastball, a little bit leaky over the middle of the plate, but there were some instances in late June. And I know it's understandable, but there was maybe some concerns that the home runs to lefties were too much, Corey. But I think what we've seen lately with Asalai, it's it's exceeded my expectations in July. I talked and we discussed maybe him throwing more change-ups to lefties, but 
he's not doing that. He's actually throwing <laughs> gutters, changeups, and maybe more curveballs. He's doing more than I even expected. Yeah, I, I mean, look, I, I think that a lot of what we've talked about plenty of with Alzali was, you know, pretty much the case in this start on on Thursday. It's 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 a process, and I think you have to be willing to be patient here, and especially once things happen, he's going to be like, I, I I always watch the games. I know you always watch the games. And I, I assume that most of you guys listening watch all the games. Uh, but like Alzali for sure in this second half, regardless of how many games they're losing or how many people they, they trade, like that's going to be appointment viewing because it's, it's extremely, extremely important. And if he's able to kind of go that level up, you're going to feel a lot different about heading into 2022 than you might if he doesn't. It just, mm-hmm. it, it's it's one of those, like, it's either going to create a lot of questions or it's going to answer a lot of questions. But um he's on, you know, the younger side, higher upside potential, things like that. Uh, let's, let's look at, you know, maybe someone like Alec Mills or Trevor Williams, uh, guys who, you know, you're not really sure whether they would factor into your plans in 2022. They, they certainly could, uh, but you're kind of observing them now and, and they're, they're going to have their shot, right? There's going to be plenty of innings to be had here in this second half. Not sure if they're going to give some of them to, as we've talked about, you know, guys like Keegan Thompson or Justin Steele, but Mills and, and Williams should have an opportunity to at least show what they've got and, you know, maybe if they're going to factor in or not. Yeah. Uh, Trevor Williams, I know the overall numbers this year, not good and disappointing. And there's a lot of expectations by me going into the year that he would change a lot of things because his release point was so much lower than your average guy. I thought that was interesting. Uh, In his last start here against the Cardinals, he has made, at least from a sequencing and pitch repertoire perspective, like like major changes. Um, He was throwing mostly four seams throughout the year. I mean, he peaked at around 55% four seam usage in May. And that continued in his starts back from the injured list. Uh, not anymore. So in his start against the Cardinals, he only threw a four seam once every four pitches. That's that's crazy. And he swapped those pitches, Corey, for sinkers and sliders. This sounds very similar to what the Cubs have been doing for a lot of their other pitchers, like Alzali. Alzali did the same thing. He swapped his four seam for more sinkers and sliders. So that's something to monitor going forward. I know it's a weird conversation because the numbers are so bad, and I get the Cubs went after Trevor Williams instead of other guys on the market for $2.5 million. I know that's a little frustrating for a lot of fans, but there's still many, many more starts to go, and Trevor Williams does have a history of pitching more than 25 starts a year with okay, decent command and capable of being at least an innings eater. So if he can go throughout the rest of the year and look as if he's making tangible changes that are improving run prevention and getting weaker contact and getting even more whiffs because of that option, and by option, he's he's not even uh, finishing up his, his arbitration year. So he's going to go through the R process one more time if the Cubs wanted to stick with him. 
uh, he could be a guy that's only worth $3 million, $4 million for next year. And as the Cubs look to roll out their rotation for 2022, if they decide to use him as like a fourth starter option or a fifth starter option, for that price tag and for that level of reliability, I know he was just injured, but like seriously, the reliability with his arm, no major history of shoulder problems or elbow problems, like I'm going to pay up for that. And I think there's a good chance not a good chance, but there is a legitimate chance that as the year goes along, he's going to look like a different pitcher in September. If the start against the Cardinals is a sign of what's to come, just because that's such a drastic change, you know, going from 60% forcing usage to 25% forcing usage in just one game, that has to be a signal that he's working on new pitches. And to be able to throw more sinkers and sliders as a substitute, I think you have to be curious about it. Um, You know, results aside for that one start, you have to be wondering what they're trying to do. And because he still has that unique release point, maybe there is still a a role for him next year at at a cheap price. I'll be following him. Uh, Of course, you got to be following Alzali. I think those two guys are really projectable options for 2022. And then there's Alec Mills. So Mills... I showed you this, Corey. I think it's like baseball art. If we look at his heat map this year of pitches inside the zone, he is darting pitches, every single pitch type, four-seamers, sinkers, curveball, sliders, changeup, exactly where he wants to throw them. I mean, there is almost, there's like no deviation from where he wants to locate these pitches. Fastballs are up in the zone. Changeups are down and away off the lower portion of the plate sliders are being thrown inside to lefties or or uh going away from from righties with precision i mean this heat map is just it's beautiful and i think that's the change from last year his overall barrel rate he's getting 90 percent fewer barrels than your average major league pitcher right now like that, that, that is wild. And Alec Mills is getting that much weak contact. It's not, it's not fair to compare him to Hendricks because they're so different, uh, despite the slower velocity. But that's what Kyle does. Kyle gets whiffs and he gets a, a ton of weak contact. So if Mills can continue to showcase this type of command and maybe start to change things up, the one change he has made in the past few starts um, is that forcing usage like Trevor Williams. So last year, in 2020, even when he was throwing that no-hitter, he was throwing a four-seam about a third of the time. This year is around, and lately within uh, the last two months, it's around 15%. So you have this four-seam usage. Seems to be a trend for these Cubs pitchers, not throwing four-seams as much as they used to, and opting for sinkers or opting for a different secondary pitch. And for Mills and Trevor Williams, that's what they're doing. For Alice Lai, he's been doing that the entire season, even dating back to the latter half of 2020 in the COVID season. And again, that's Tommy Hadevi, right? So I'm looking in this rest of the 2021 season, anticipating Kyle Hendricks will be Kyle Hendricks, nothing to, to worry about there. And I'm anticipating evaluating whether or not Alex Lai can be that number two or number three. And then also looking at the back end of the rotation and, and genuinely wondering, does Alec Mills deserve a stable, not a swingman spot, but a stable spot in the rotation for next year? And for Trevor Williams, does it make sense maybe bringing him back for three, four million in arbitration and also putting him in that fifth spot? And then maybe going out in the offseason and signing a, a decent 
option for the middle or top of the rotation. You see guys like uh, Duscafani on the market who's having a great year. Marcus Stroman is a free agent. I don't know what Max Scherzer's market's going to be like, but he's a free agent. And Noah Syndergaard, despite the injuries, he's going to be on the market. And so will Kevin Gossman. So there is potential for the Cubs to improve at least the top, you know, third of their rotation if they decide to go out there and spend that money. So there's a lot of options, a lot of possibilities, and that's a good thing from the Cubs. And we're not even talking about Keegan Thompson or Justin Steele yet. Yeah, I think, you know, another thing to keep in mind is that we've seen in this year, now obviously coming off the COVID year, we knew that this was going to have an increased importance. But when watching guys like Mills and Trevor Williams for the rest of the year, and like you said, anybody else that, that gets a spot, it, it's not even necessarily about like, oh, you know, do you want Alec Mills or Trevor Williams to be one of the five guys in your rotation when you break camp? It, it's it's more, we've seen how important depth is, is, is what I'm getting at, right? We have seen, especially from, from the Cubs perspective, with injuries and guys just struggling, things like that, like you want to have more than just five options for who's going to take the ball and try to get you quality starts every fifth day. So this time can be used to figure out like, okay, like does this guy have a role? Can we build depth with these guys? And even if you don't go into next year with Alec Mills being one of the best five starting pitchers in your major league rotation can he be the sixth do you like are you comfortable with that can he be the seventh or you know whatever it is depth is so important and you're going to see that even in this trade deadline when someone in the next several days trades for Zach Davies gives up uh you know whatever from their system or whatever they end up paying for Zach Davies even though he's been inconsistent for the Cubs because Mm -hmm. that is just how important depth is and and guys that have experience as starting pitchers and can do so on a regular basis it's important and not everybody has a lot of it so this time can be used not to just figure out like okay are these guys top five starter material but like you just want to have that depth and and Jed has to build it from somewhere and it's a lot easier if you build it with guys that you already have and that you're going to have under contract next year so that's again something to keep an eye on I think there, there there's a range right like that's kind of where you're looking at with Mills and Williams Alzali is obviously in a, a different respect when you're talking about the rest of this year you're watching him not to be rotation depth to be top of the rotation right that's where you're yeah. hoping he's able to kind of like take his game to um I had, I had two thoughts listening to you uh beyond that Brendan one mm-hmm. I I think we we have to figure out how to get Tommy Harvey on here you and I don't even think I'll participate like I'm I just I'll, I'll do my intro this is the Cubs related podcast, and here's Brendan and Tommy Hadavi for three hours. Enjoy. I mean, because that's that just got to happen. Um, yeah, I mean, that, that would be amazing. Yes. Secondly, if with that or without that, I do think we need like uh, you know maybe like a soundbite or like a segment uh, intro for when you just kind of like rip into those uh, deep deep dives into the the starting pitchers and their their repertoires and and things like that like in the lab with Brendan Miller something like that you know like a little jingle or something <laughs> yeah or like this is the uh, Tommy Hadavi love segment or something like that yes right well that sounds a little weird but well, you can you know. call it it's, it's your <laughs> it's segment my segment right? Corey yeah it's your segment you can call it what whatever you want my friend I think people might be a little if they've never tuned in before they might be a little confused as to what that's uh, going to be about but anyway 
Um, so I think uh, that that's that's kind of where we are with the starting pitching. Uh, one thing you know, I do want to uh, kind of reiterate because because. This is important. Like how these guys perform is obviously important. So I just want to touch on how some of these guys in the bullpen performed in this series, uh, just to kind of uh, kind of recalibrate where we're at on that. So Tapera pitched in uh, Tuesday's game and inning, gave up one hit, but no runs, no walks, and struck out two. Kimbrel also pitched in that game, pitched picking up his 22nd save of the year. He went in inning, no hits, no runs, no walks, and two strikeouts. Uh, So that was good. The important thing I wanted to note in particular on Tapera in that game uh, was that the Velo was back. We had mentioned on that last podcast episode after the Diamondback series that he pitched in one of those games was more in the lower 90s. The Velo was back up towards the mid-90s in this outing against the Cardinals, so that's good. Obviously, you know, you you kept reading those reports if you were on Twitter. Ton of scouts at these games, and a lot of them looking at these bullpen guys, right? And Tapera's Velo being down, despite how good he's been, uh, not not a great look. So that being back to normal, very, very good for Tapera, very, very good for those suitors uh, sitting in the stands, and ultimately will hopefully be very good for the Cubs. On Wednesday, uh, both of those guys also pitched again. Andrew Chafin came in in this one, just a third of an inning, um, gave up a hit, did strike out a batter, uh, came in to a a dirty spot relieving Hendricks, so you know it is what it is, uh, giving up the hit. Tapera, then an inning and a third, one hit, no walks, and two strikeouts, so another good outing from him. Kimbrell pitching in the game on Wednesday, so he came in to put out uh, a fire at the end end of the ninth, he escapes that, getting Goldschmidt out, so that is good, obviously, Uh, but he does give up the game-winning hit uh, over the head, uh, I believe it was Wisdom in right field, actually, by this point, Ross had had to make some changes, so guys were all over the place, Um, to Molina to win that game, Uh, but that's obviously an unearned run, because the runner on second in the tenth inning is uh, Manfred's clown rule, so he gives up a hit, one unearned run, did walk one, and did strike out one, uh, so, you know, not like Craig's best outing, but his ERA is still uh, literally uh, half a run, 0.51. Uh, Velo looks good for all these guys. So I, I just wanted to I just wanted to touch on that because it's, uh, you know, these are kind of the last looks potentially that teams are going to get at these guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, so just want to make sure that they look good. And really, I just wanted to circle back to Tapera in particular because yeah. you want that Velo to be back up. You want him to be looking like that kind of version of him that we've seen over the past year or so now that uh, has been really good and has been a, a really strong part of this Cubs bullpen. Uh, so, you know, one one last thing I think just want to touch on, you know, we've obviously been keeping track. Uh, you know, I don't think there's anything new on like the Ian Happ front or the Nico front. I, I know, Brendan, you wanted to see maybe the power show up for Nico at some point, but, um, you know, I think he's uh, someone to continue watching through the rest of this season. And, you know, coming back from that hamstring injury, I think, you know, maybe got to take a little more time for him to continue developing. Uh, but did, you know, and, and we, we've talked about Happ and, and some of these other guys. Uh, a couple things uh, I, I did want to note, though, um, just on some of the guys that we have been obviously paying a lot of attention to. So we'll see. Uh, David Ross said he expects Chris Bryant back in that lineup on Friday. 
I, you know, obviously at the outset of this podcast, Brendan and I talked about, you know, it's sort of a weird dynamic because Chris has had these injuries. There's also the trade stuff. So who knows exactly what is going on there, but hopefully he is back out there. Uh, cause look, I'll, I'll tell you one thing, right? It doesn't, it's not good for anybody in any situation if he is hurt, right? It's not good for him going into a potential free agency situation. It's not good for the Cubs if they want to trade him, and it's not good for the Cubs if they want to extend him. Like, it's it's not good if he's hurt. It's it's not good for anybody. So hopefully he's back out there, and this is not something uh, that turns into a thing. Uh, wanted to just note uh, that in, you know, the last 15 games, Javi has been really good. Um, a 333 batting average, 381 on base percentage, 526 slugging percentage, three home runs in those 57 at bats. So a really nice stretch for Baez. It's been a, a pretty weird season for him. And, and, you know, sometimes that's how it is, the ebbs and flows of El Mago, but it's been a, a really nice stretch for him. Even uh, dating back the last 30 games, 106 at bats, a 264 average, 331 on base percentage, and a 509 slugging percentage. Uh, so, you know, some solid numbers there. So he had a, a very sloppy defensive series um, in in this series in St. Louis, and his error total is really high for the season. Um, but at the same time, you know, you see him making, you know, wizard-like plays every other game, and the offense has been a lot better uh, over these uh, last 30 games or so, so that's good to see. And the last of the big three, it's been a struggle for Anthony Rizzo uh, recently, Brendan. It's, uh, he entered the game on Thursday, so I'm just, I'm reading this uh, article from Cubs.com, so it doesn't include Thursday, uh, but he was 0 for 4 with a strikeout in this game, so these numbers only get worse. Uh, But but in the 24 games, so 24 games plus what I just read from th- you know tonight's game, 24 games since June 16th, uh, he has a slash line of 198, 316, and 333. So that is, of course, an OPS that is uh, well below 700. So that is not good. Brendan. And, you know, we've talked a little bit on here about where the power has been for Anthony Rizzo. You know, now we're in the second half here and it does not seem, you know, he's been a guy that's been a a pretty safe bet to hit that 30-ish homer mark um, on a a routine basis, um, you know, or or somewhere in those high 20s. You know, going back to 2014, 2013, he's got 23, but from 2014 to 2017, it was a at least 31 in all of those years, 25 in 2018, 2017 in 2019. And then he had 11 in the 58 games that he played in the 2020 season. He's got 11 in the 86 games that he's played so far in this season. So the power just hasn't been there. Uh, The overall numbers, you know, they're, they're, they're fine. You know, I think they're like average-ish for, you know, first baseman and stuff like that across the league. But from what we've seen from Anthony over his Cubs career, this is, uh, you know, not his best year. And he has the uh, base running gaffe in the 10th inning in the game on Wednesday. You know, he admitted after the game that, you know, he just froze and it was bad. It was a bad feeling to be doing that. But, um, you know, that was one of those moments, Brendan, where like, I'm, I'm not like super invested in whether they win or lose at this point. I, I, I always want them to beat the Cardinals. I'd always like them to win, 
but you know, we're just not at a point where it's live and die with whether they they win or lose. And as we've kind of noted, they're not going to lose enough to get themselves into like a top five pick or something like that. Like they're, you know, teams like the Diamondbacks are just so bad and have so, so few wins. It's just not going to happen. So I, I don't really get worked up about it. Um, but especially playing the Cardinals and, and just with how bad that base running was like I was watching that game and I'm like you know whatever okay you know the Cardinals are winning whatever whatever and like when I watched that play I mean I yelled out at the TV like what the f are you doing Anthony like what was that so yeah it's uh it's it's been a struggle for him and uh you know I think you know certainly the 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 situation is what it is with you know him turning down uh that extension in the off season and you know now he's hearing his name in in trade rumors i I'm sure that that stuff does not help uh a guy mentally but you know we've often seen guys perform at career levels when they're potentially playing for a contract and, you know, having that motivate them and, and things like that. So I don't want to necessarily speculate on on what is kind of the, the root cause of, uh, you know, this maybe not being one of the better years of Anthony's career, at least through these 86 games. Uh, but it's, it's, it's been a struggle. And I, you know, I think he's clearly pressing a little bit. I don't, I don't know to what degree him pressing has influenced his numbers. I'm sure he's pressing for a variety of different reasons. One is uh, Cubs are not doing well. He's in trade rumors. So he has a contract coming up. I, I, I get all of that. There is... This is a, this is a difficult conversation. Uh, Rizzo is still, from his peripherals, still looking okay. Like his expect, I, I know you don't like this number, but his expected weighted on base average is plus three fifty. So it's you know it's right there. His I, over. I don't. Okay, I don't. <laughs> I said that to Brendan in a in a text. I don't. I don't dislike expected. Stats, I know. I know I what just, you mean. We. I. I. I read them for like David Bodie and Ian Happ so frequently, and it just never. <laughs> it, it never translated to anything that I. Was I mean, like, you I told me. You, you to told me. Quote. Not to throw you on blast. I don't want to hear expected Woba ever again. So I'm like, I'm scared you're going to yell on me on my podcast if I bring it up. But I. 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 I get your point. But if you're looking at chase rate, like his chase rate is fine. His average exit velocity is even better than the last few years. Uh, his barrel rate is fine. His OBP, his expected OBP is like in the 80, 80th percentile. I mean, those numbers are fine. What's down is this, it's this simple. What's down is, is his power. His expected homers are no different than his total number of 11. He's not hitting the ball for far as he used to. It's really that simple. And so the question then you have to ask yourself is, why? Is it age-related? And maybe it is. Is it just a league adjustment thing? Is it a baseball, new baseball thing? Maybe it's all the above, right? But at the end of this discussion, when you think about Rizzo's value and what his contract might be, he turned down seventy million. I'm sure he was seeking a hundred-ish million. Maybe like a middle ground is around eighty million. And if you sign Tony for eighty million for five years, and you get quite literally the best defensive first baseman in the league with outs above average in the ninety-eighth percentile, plus a hitter 
who's going to be within like a 350 to 370 Woba on a year-to-year basis without the whiffs, with a good approach, a strikeout rate always under 20%, most of the time in Ben Zobris range around 15%. Like you're going to sign that, that contract every single time. Now, is he going to be your third hitter, your cleanup hitter? Probably not. But this is where we are in his tenure with the Cubs. He's 32. He's been with the team now for almost a decade. You have to be realistic. And for $80 million, that's a hell of a deal for a player of that value who's likely, without those back injuries being significant, even if the back injuries are like this on a year-to-year basis, so be it, he's likely going to be a consistent contributor on a three to four war on on a year-to-year basis like this. So I'm I, I'm I'm being more realistic now. I think if we had this discussion in the offseason, this last offseason, I would be like, oh, you know, Tony should be your number three hitter for 2022. And I don't know if we can think like that anymore. And that's not a bad thing. That's a natural thing. At the end of this discussion, like I said, he's still an extremely valuable player at that type of contract discussion. And it just shows the Cubs need to keep developing and going out there and getting additional bats. But he should be part of this future. He should be in this middle of the lineup because he has that exact approach, that contact ability that the Cubs have been seeking for the past five years, Corey. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that's fair. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm all in on on keeping him. Uh, I, I think, you know, the, that situation is rather fascinating. Um, cause I, I do still think that, that Anthony's probably going to hold strong feelings about what he's meant to this team and the value he's created to this team. And I, I, I think that, you know, that value to the Cubs is different than it might be to other teams. And I think Anthony knows that. Um, and that was sort of the issue with the contract in the off season, even though as you're, you know, if you're kind of looking at things in a vacuum from a performance perspective, which once again, I did not and do not agree with right i'm i'm on record as, as saying that the cubs needed to to reward him for all of that um but you know now you look at the way he's performing and I, like if you're if you're jed and and you're removing emotion from it which he's stated that he is doing right like it's about right right like yeah. or so you know something close to that so it'll be fascinating to see if if anthony is is going to come back to the table on that or what the overall uh, feeling is there, but uh, yeah, yeah, it's, it's difficult. That's I mean, that's yeah, what no, it is, right? Yeah, it's difficult. You want to see? I mean, you want to see Tony break that was a thirty-two homer threshold that we were talking about for years, and yeah, that seems like a discussion that's not realistic at at this point. I mean, maybe yeah, maybe, and yeah. well, and and you know, he's 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 just missing on on some of these balls there was a ball in the game on uh thursday night that he hit you know it kind of had that vintage rizzo look you know he kind of did that little lean back that he does looked like a ball that he got and you know maybe in another park it it was i didn't see how far it went but i just know it got caught on the warning track right and like when he hit it when you're looking at him if i asked you what's the result of this play i bet most of you would have said home run right just from the way it looked and how many times we've seen Rizzo take a similar swing like that and it 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 didn't get there it didn't uh it didn't carry beyond the warning track so that just kind of seems to be uh the the tale of of the season for him it's it's just something is is just not not quite there for him this year and uh hopefully he was able to 
snap out of that. And uh, yeah, you know, I think uh, hopefully uh, you don't see more of of the base running like that. Because that I mean, was, I don't uh, care about that. I'll be honest with you. It's one. It's one gaffe. It happens. I mean, all these. No, nice yeah, gaffes. no. I mean, it 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 happens. But it it just it wasn't great. And uh, yeah, I yeah. yeah, and I and I certainly understood kind of. Uh, you know, I, I don't think it's apples to apples. I thought it was kind of a weird comparison. But, you know, you do sort of understand why so many people are like, okay, like Javi got benched in the middle of that one game. And, you know, I mean, Javi's not leading off the base. I mean, Rizzo. No, made no, no, no. no. I, that's yeah. what I'm saying. It's it's not apples to apples. I also think there's a big difference between pulling a guy in the middle of the game when you don't think his head is there and benching a guy the next day, which is what this would have been because the gaff was in the 10th inning, right? Yeah. You can't really there's there's nowhere to take Anthony out from right there's there's no more game left um so I I I don't think I I didn't really agree with the um you know kind no. of like I said apples to I don't think it was apples to apples so I think no. comparing those situations weird I'm just saying that you know it's it's sort of I'm not surprised that the conversation came up because Ross had had done that Ross had you know come out uh when Wilson spoke with you which you and I talked about and you know just sort of was like, yeah, it was a mistake on Rizzo. It was bad, you know? So I, I understood why some people were like, eh, okay. They're complete. I mean, I mean, I, I agree with I, you, I get but I, I'm, I'm just saying, I understand that once you kind of, I don't, uh, I don't understand. Once that. you kind of cross that threshold of, we're going to hold <laughs> some guys accountable in, in public ways and things like that, like you're going to get questions like this. So One is, hold on though. One is the Javi situation is due to a total lack of awareness. The Rizzo issues. I agree with you. The Rizzo issues due to a, a misjudged batted ball. Like I, 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 I agree I'm with not, you. Uh, I'm just saying I, I wasn't surprised that there was somewhat of uh, a discussion about it on social media yeah. and things well, like that. And, and really, I, I, I bring this up because I do think that this highlights one of the things that we've talked about a little bit, which is this is the type of stuff that Ross still has to learn, right? Like he's still, I, I would call him a, a rookie manager, basically. Like obviously this is his second season, of course, and he won a division and managed in the playoffs. So it feels weird at the same time to call him a rookie manager, but that was a very strange season and certainly not anything like a full 162 game season with fans and the 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 difference in the grind and things like that. So I I I still would sort of put him in that in that phrase and it just sort of underscores, you know, one of the things that he's still uh, has to get used to, has to to find out how he's going to deal with things like that, and especially looking at this trade deadline situation. Um, you know, this is a, a rather unique managerial situation to be in and to to be doing it when you have not ever managed a, a full, you know, sort of real season before, it's a, it's got to be a challenge for Ross. So I, I think it's interesting to kind of watch how he approaches all of this, how he approaches the different players and the decisions and things like that. And, you know, even the stuff you were talking about with Chris Bryant and, and his post-game comments and whether he's in the lineup, what he's telling the media, things like that. It's all kind of fascinating to, to, pay attention to because this is all, you know, he's sort of learning on the job with some of this stuff. And it's it's very different to manage a team that is winning or, you know, just consistently losing, right, all the time. And what Ross is dealing with now, you know, you're going from a successful season in 2020, albeit a very weird one, to a very up and down kind of roller coaster of a situation in 2021, where now you're dealing with all sorts of stuff that is not just 
on-the-field decisions, right? You have to keep a ton of stuff in mind. Your roster might change the way you're talking to players and how you have to keep the clubhouse as all of this is coming on. This is a very interesting challenge for David Ross. Yeah. So um, be yeah. interesting to see how he continues to wade through it. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I can't. If, if you're if you're on you know social media and you're comparing Javi's lack of leading off for a space to Rizzo uh, misjudging the velocity of a ground ball, to go home, uh, I mean that those are two completely different scenarios. You have to you have to realize that. Um, okay, so let's preview this upcoming series against the Diamondbacks. So we have a three-game set at Wrigley Field. The D-backs are not good, thirty and sixty-eight. The Cubs are forty-seven and fifty-three games below five hundred. The D-backs in their first game though will be throwing their best pitcher Zach Galen. He is one and four, but he has a three point eight six ERA. Has some good stuff. And then we have Zach Davies on the mound to face Galen. He's five and six with four point three five ERA. This could be Davies' last start, and that Friday game starts at one twenty p.m. Central. On Saturday, we have Merrill Kelly for the Diamondbacks. Kelly on the year 6-7, a 4.46 ERA. He'll be facing the Cubs' Alec Mills, 4-3, a 4.64 ERA. That Saturday game starts at 120 as well. And then on Sunday, another 120 start time, we have Caleb Smith for the Diamondbacks. He's 3-6, a 4.38 ERA. The Cubs have not announced a starter for that Sunday final game. So be on the lookout for that. We are recording this Thursday night, so they may have announced that by Friday morning. Let's see what happens. What I'm looking for, honestly, I I I, I don't know. This is uh this is tricky tricky times. We could be seeing trades this series. We could be seeing a lot of trades uh, this series. The starter that, of course, I'm going to be watching is is Alec Mills. Uh, I don't care about Zach Davies if he looks good. That's that's great. But in terms of trends to follow, I don't care what he throws. Uh, it's good that he's throwing against the Diamondbacks. Gets one more chance against a weak team to showcase himself in front of scouts there looking for a starter in, in Zach Davies. And that's really all I got, Corey. I mean, I want to see Tony get back out there. We'll see if Chris Bryant's going to be playing games or if they decide to hold him back with that hamstring fatigue. And then how Ross uses that bullpen, especially Kimbrell being so close to the trade deadline. Yeah, I mean, I think the the stuff to watch is pretty similar to the stuff to watch uh, that it's been for quite some time now. But uh, yeah, man, uh, I'm going to go to Wrigley Field. I'm going to throw on a Chris Bryant jersey and going to uh, savor it, I guess, because I don't know, you know, I don't know what the future holds. So uh, if you're in town in Chicago... I'd, I'd head on, you know, like the song says, I'd uh, come on down to Wrigley Field because I, I don't know what to expect over, over the next week. So we've got a couple series here at Wrigley Field uh, before the end of the trade deadline and got to enjoy it while you can, right? So especially against the Diamondbacks, they should figure to probably win some games. So, uh, you know, you can at least uh, hopefully enjoy the experience this weekend uh, on a number of levels. But that's, that's really what it is. So... Uh, yeah, I'm going to uh, go to Wrigley Field and I'm going to watch Anthony Rizzo and Javi Baez and Chris Bryant and hopefully Craig Kimbrell at the end of one of these games or multiple of these games playing for the Chicago Cubs. And uh, I'm going to enjoy that for as long as I can. And we'll see how everything goes. As we've said, uh, we will get through this together. Uh, 
one way or the other, whatever happens. And uh, the usual caveat this time of year that if we need to, uh, we will hop on even on the weekend. We will hop on and break things down if something happens that uh, requires us to do so. So I think that's what we have. Uh, you know, like Pat Hughes always says, uh, I, I I would say like Pat Hughes always says, but we told you to buckle those seatbelts a little while ago. So I would just say keep them buckled um, cause we'll see what happens, but, uh, we will be here, uh, twice a week after every series to break it all down and to talk through it. Uh, if not, uh, with and for all of you, certainly for Brendan and I, uh, and our own, uh, mental well-being as, as poor as it may be, uh, these conversations do help to a degree. So, uh, thank you guys for listening. We will talk to you after the Cubs and Diamondbacks finish up at Wrigley Field this weekend. Thank you for supporting the Cubs-related podcast, and we will talk to you soon. As always, go Cubs. All right. Um, that was fun.